0: Well, good afternoon, listeners. 12 noon, but uh, here we are on the dogs program. No, we're not the four-legged ones. We're two-legged ones, and we are the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And we believe and we promote and we defend public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. It should be publicly owned and controlled. And it should also be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that can be publicly accountable. Well, we know that uh, we don't live in an ideal world, and those are things that we have to fight for. We did have this, by the way, um, about 80 years or no, 60 years ago, odd years ago, but then they started giving money to private schools, and it's been a downhill battle ever since. But um, this week, the uh, papers have been full of the very simple fact that teachers are just walking away from not just public schools, but from all schools. But of course, we're interested in public schools. Why? The dogs have their own take on this. We think that um, along with the uh, privatisation movement uh, of the last 60 years, where private is supposed to be better than public. The uh, private management uh, paradigm has been uh, very much proved of. We've heard a lot about autonomous schools and the wicked, wicked centralised bureaucrats. But in fact, the public system really got off the ground when there were dedicated people in the centre who uh, ran a very good administration and took a lot of pressure of teachers and made teachers certain of both their employment and their salary and did a lot of the administrative work as well. And the teachers are now complaining about the administrative work. They shouldn't have to do it. That's the dog's view. And there is nothing wrong with centralised uh, administration so long as they're not over-centralised and that they are open to hearing lots and lots of voices. But um, we've got a press release to this effect, number 972, which you can see on our website at www.adogs.info. And uh, Kim is going to read it for us. Over to you, Kim.
1: Thanks, Jean. Yeah, this is press release 972, Teacher Shortage, the Result of Bad Education Policy. Victorian schools are struggling with staffing gaps with around 1,000 teaching positions vacant. The Australian Principals Federation says many schools are running on a skeleton program and the Victorian government has invested millions into stemming the teacher shortage, including recruiting overseas teachers. The Victorian situation is replicated throughout Australia with perhaps New South Wales in the most parlous position with approximately a 10,000 teacher shortage. The situation is reminiscent of the 1960s when the children born after the war, the baby boomers, hit the schools the current situation is not just the result of population pressures it is the result of bad policy. Since the 1980s there has been an acceptance of the neoliberal mantras that private is better than public, centralized education bureaucracies undermined and decentralized, accountability of centralized religious administration for expenditure of public money translated into accountability of teachers for teaching the basics, and the promotion of the autonomous school. And at the top of the public school, administrations, politicians imposed administrators on contract, many of whom had no educational expertise or background. As more and more responsibilities have been forced onto principals and teachers at the school level, power in the matter matter of curricula and testing procedures have been centralised in federal bodies meeting in Canberra. Public school teachers and principals have been the losers along with their children. Understandably, they are walking away. Few public school teachers enjoy certainty of tenure, many are on contract, their salaries are not comparable with those of other professions, and the administrative tasks once carried by central administration have been delegated to the school level. Meanwhile, additional obligations have been placed upon them as they are expected to inspect and evaluate their own work with NAPLAN and PISA tests. Many are resigning and walking away into less demanding and more financially rewarding employment. Others are taking up jobs in the private sector, which has the funds to offer higher salaries. Politicians are desperately trying to find stopgap measures, which will put figures in classrooms around the nation. They would do better to stop and think. There was a reason why the state public systems in Australia had centralised administrations staffed with those dedicated to the public system, with schools staffed by teachers who had certainty of tenure, promotion within the system, adequate salaries and, where necessary, provision of housing. Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, thank you, Kim. And attached to our press release, there'll be also a paper. It's about 32 pages, which I wrote for the University of Melbourne, a a, a conference up there, about why it was that uh, the New South Wales Department uh, centralised in the first place and how, in fact, so much at the moment is being centralised in Canberra which is not necessarily a good thing at all. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and then Dale's got some interesting statistics for us.
2: It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, Not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that. You know, That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not... We're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to
3: 3CR, fiercely independent and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
0: Well, we hope that you're listening to the Dogs Programme and uh, in previous weeks we've noted how the private schools have been buying out the uh, state school teachers. with money, and that's because they've got money. Now, uh, Trevor Cobald has been doing some very good work with the uh, Charities Commission figures, facts and figures, and uh, in in previous weeks we've been giving you some of this material, but uh, Dale is going to bring us up to date with his latest magnum opus. Over to you, Dale.
4: Thanks, Jean. Yes, well, last week we had uh, Trevor Cobalt's analysis of the Queensland private schools that were raking in millions and now his analysis of the wealthy Western Australian private schools that are raking in millions in donations. So Trevor says, the wealthiest, most exclusive private schools in Western Australia are raking in millions of dollars in donations and investment income. These millions are ignored in assessing the need for government funding. It exposes a major flaw in how private schools are funded. The flaw means that the schools are massively overfunded by the taxpayer. Funding of private schools must be overhauled. New figures obtained from the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, the ACNC, show that 11 Western Australian private schools received $69 million in donations and investment income over the last five years from 2017 to 2021. Donations totaled $53.2 million and investment income was $15.8 million. Just one school, Christchurch Grammar, raked in over half the total of donations and investments the average income from these sources for the other 10 schools was 3.3 million per school over 5 years one of Perth's most exclusive high fee paying schools christchurch Church grammar raked in 36.3 million dollars over the last 5 years comprising of 25.1 million in donations and 11.2 million in investment income in 2017 it received seventeen point eight million dollars in donations. Wesley College collected seven point four million, seven million in donations and four hundred thousand in investment income. St. Mary's Anglican Girls Schools got million in donation 5.4 million all up, that's 3.6 million in donations, 1.8 million in investment income. Other schools receiving several million from these sources included All Saints College with 3.9 million, St. Hilda's Anglican School, 3.4 million, and Penrose College at $3.3 million. Donation and investment income of these wealthy exclusive schools other private income of public schools the average donations and other income of western australian public schools in 2020 was 147 dollars per student by contrast the donations and investment income of christchurch grammar averaged 1170 dollars per student these 11 private schools also received 98 million in funding by the Commonwealth and Western Australian governments in 2020. This funding was determined without regard to their donations and investment income. Under the current Commonwealth funding method, private school funding is determined by the capacity of families to pay fees. This is measured by the adjustable taxable income of families as reported by the Australian Taxation Office. It ignores other very lucrative sources of income for private schools, such as donations and investment income. These schools raise additional funds through multiple tax-exempt organisations, such as foundations building funds, scholarship funds, and others. For example, the Christchurch Grammar Foundation manages a building fund for the school. In 2021, it received $3.5 million in donations and bequests, and $1.4 million from investments. It has assets of $51 million. The Wesley College Endowment Fund received investment income of $12 million in 2021 and has assets of $55 million. St Mary's Girls' School Foundation has assets of $34 million. These donations also reduce the tax burden of the donors, so even more money goes to private, not public, benefits. The failure to include donations and investment income in determining Commonwealth funding of private schools is a major flaw in the current funding model. It results in overestimation of the financial need of private schools and massive overfunding by the taxpayer. However, it is not sufficient to just include other school income in determining the financial need of private schools because there are other major flaws in the model. A major flaw is the assumption that parents of students pay the school fees and other charges. This is demonstrably untrue. Many private school students have their fees at least partly paid by their grandparents. The funding model also ignores other income provided by grandparents, such as money for house renovations, household assets, such as white goods, furniture and IT equipment, cars, holidays and medical expenses that free up family income to be spent on school fees. Over 50% of parents help their adult children, with a variety of expenses, including school fees. The Bank of Mum and Dad is reputed to be the ninth largest home lender in Australia. As a result of this direct and indirect financial support for families, which is not recorded in adjustable tax in adjusted taxable income, the capacity of private school parents to pay school fees is vastly underestimated, and the private schools are consequently consequently massively overfunded by the taxpayers. Even apart from these flaws, the current funding model is overfunding many wealthy schools according to its own criteria, private schools are supposed to be funded at 80% of their SRS by the Commonwealth Government and the remaining 20% by the Western Australian Government. However, many of these exclusive schools are already hugely overfunded by the Commonwealth. For example, St Mary's Anglican School was funded at 140% of its SRS in 2022 by the Commonwealth instead of just 80%. Wesley College at 123%, and Penrose College and All Saints College at 113%. Christchurch Grammar was funded at 85% of its SRS, all above the 80% cap. St Mary's Anglican School was overfunded by 3 million in 2022, Wesley College and All Saints College by 2.1 million, and Penrose College by 1.7 million. Christchurch grammar was overfunded by 300,000 the total of overfunding of 10 of the 11 schools was 13.9 million dollars The overfunding of the other school could not be obtained. The current funding model for private schools needs a complete overhaul. The Commonwealth Government's funding model purports to assess the financial need of schools for taxpayer funding, but it ignores millions of dollars in donation and investment income received by private schools and additional income provided to families by grandparents of children in private schools. It is a highly inequitable funding system. It unfairly overfunds private schools while massively underfunding public schools. A new system should be governed by the principle that government funding for private schools should only fill the gap between private income and a revised SRS. The base SRS should be set as the cost of highly successful public schools with minimum disadvantage. Funding Funding for private schools should be conditional on meeting social obligations and educational standards. The private schools whose private income is above the SRS should not, I repeat, should not receive government funding because it extends their resource advantage over public schools. A significant first step towards this model would be to end all government funding for wealthy, exclusive, high-fee private schools. They don't need taxpayer funding. It is a complete waste and simply adds to their huge resource advantage over public schools. It is funding that would be better used to support disadvantaged students and schools where additional funding will have much greater impact on improving education outcomes than the taxpayer money being squandered on wealthy schools. Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, uh, some of those figures are mind-boggling, aren't they? Uh, But you can see that there's really no necessity, whatever, for these schools to be getting public money at all. And a lot of the problem is that the uh, Gonski report and a lot of other reports don't look at the endowments and the real income of these schools when they decide what money they should get. But um, we're very fortunate that Trevor Cobalt, who used to work in the Productivity Commission, has uh, done all of these figures for us. Well, we'll have a bit of a break and then we'll come back uh, to give you some information on the different uh, media reports of the last week on the teacher shortages.
1: Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976?
3: application was successful because of our diverse and engaged
1: community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station, and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
0: Well, they're still listening to the Dog's program, I hope, and we're going back to talk about the teacher shortages. And uh, the ABC, uh, on the 30th of January, wrote a very interesting, there was a very interesting post uh, from Fiona um, Australian teach Australia's teacher shortage is a generational crisis in the making, and Maddie's going to tell us about this. Over to you, Maddie.
3: Thank you, Jane. I am gonna tell you about it because teacher shortages have reached critical levels in the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, Europe, and Africa. COVID-19 further exposed existing cracks in the teaching profession, which need to be fixed urgently. Teacher numbers and resourcing, unequal access and outcomes and widespread student disillusionment, disengagement, and mental ill health are not new, but have been blatantly exposed and exacerbated by the pandemic. How we respond now will be crucial for future generations. The past three years of pandemic interrupted schooling put extreme pressure on all involved, school leaders and administrators, teachers, students, and families. Teacher shortages have reached critical levels in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Europe, and Africa. Supply and demand of teachers, particularly in hard-to-staff locations, continues to be an issue and was heightened over the pandemic due to a lack of effective policy solutions. The expectations of teachers' performance have increased over time as schools increase their reliance on standardised tests. Teaching has become more time-consuming and more physically and emotionally demanding, while the pay and social rewards are often perceived as unsatisfactory. This was already contributing to teachers' intentions to leave the profession prior to COVID-19, according to 2019 research on Australian teachers. The crisis in teacher supply is only one facet of the deeper, more complex combination of problems modern education faces. The mix of global pressures, such as competitive education and employment opportunities, Political tensions, technological advancements, and environmental degradation and climate change have created younger generations that struggle to find hope, disengaged and struggling with mental health in increasing numbers. The problem of teacher supply and student well-being is worse in communities with the least resources, particularly during the p- pandemic. The class of 2022-23 and those in the next five years are likely to bear the brunt of these issues there is a generation at risk of having their futures defined by covid-19 addressing teacher shortages would should should be a priority teachers not only provide high quality learning they are also key figures of emotional support social development and students well-being high quality dedicated and caring teachers who have the time and resources to develop positive relationships and support high quality learning can make immeasurable differences in students' lives and communities that will thrive in the future. But many teachers are struggling and considering leaving. The Australian government has declared the teacher shortage an unprecedented challenge and developed a National Teacher Workforce Action Plan. It outlines five priority areas of improving teacher supply, strengthening initial teacher education, keeping the teachers we have, elevating the profession and better understanding future teacher workforce needs.
0: Well, that sounds as if there's going to be a lot more talk and paper and reports and so on, but lot less Less action. action. Yes.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Two of these five, keeping teachers and elevating the profession, are an immediate priority to address two issues contributing to the rates of teacher attrition, workload and disrespect. Monash University research has found these are often cited by teachers as contributing to increased rates of burnout and attrition. Australia is on a precipice with up to 70% of teachers considering leaving the profession. Working through the pandemic was the final straw due to the further intensification of expectations and workload. Now in a post-COVID period, they are not seeing changes that suggest a more manageable way forward.
0: I find but this it very does, interesting because even, hmm. even in my street, there is a teacher who was very experienced, uh, very important in her school, and hmm. she just upped and left in June and she's gone around Australia with her two children in a caravan. She's had enough.
3: And, oh, it sounds like, yeah, she's gone uh, for stress relief.
0: Yep. And, um... I've got a grandson who hasn't had a teacher this year yet. He's had a number Just of relief teachers. Teacher. There's right. no teacher, and part of the trouble is that the teachers are finding great uh, trouble in finding a place to rent or live. Mm. And their salaries are really not quite up to to. Uh, and this is in the city. This is well, in-
3: there's so there's so many issues there because the rising cost of rental properties is. Just exponential. I don't know where it's going to stop, and I have no idea how these teachers are finding somewhere to live, they're not are they?
0: That's right. So yeah. um, the the cost of living is, uh, is uh, related to this, but um, there has to be a lot more money poured into education for the purpose of actually paying the teachers a salary that is worthy of their, their hard, hard work. Anyway, we' better That's-
3: keep going. <laughs> yes, we can definitely do that. Um, This will only occur by improving teachers' working conditions and ensuring the public discussions and perceptions about teaching, both in the media and through policy, are positive and respectful. Teachers in the Monash University survey recommended solutions such as reducing administrative burdens, providing more specialised staff to assist with students' social and behavioural challenges, and reducing class sizes to allow more time for teachers to meet the individual and social needs of students. I think they're all great solutions.
0: Yeah,
3: mm. respondents and that's
0: what teachers would tell you, but of course, uh, yeah. that everybody's talking about teachers, they're not listening to teachers.
3: No, that's right. That is right. Respondents also suggested better pay, obviously and greater trust in teachers through the removal of excessive accountability requirements. Doing so would help them to feel more valued and appreciated. The solutions to the immediate teacher supply issues are not simple, nor are they cheap. It would be cheaper and easier to call for improved teacher preparation programs or to investigate long-term workforce trends, but this won't have the short-term impact that is needed. We definitely need an immediate solution right now. If governments and administrators administrators are able to hone in on what teachers are crying out for right now, we might be able to stem the attrition and also have the long-term benefit of the profession being seen as an attractive career. It's really a pretty simple equation, the stronger and more committed our teachers are, the better educated our societies will be.
0: Yes, well, Australia should be learning something from Finland here too, mm. and those uh, ideas are from Fiona Longmuir, who's a lecturer in educational leadership in the Faculty of Education at Monash University, and um, she was talking to the ABC. So thank you very much, uh, Maddie. We'll have a bit We we'll come back to some more. Very interesting material on the teacher shortage.
2: Hi. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice, the Voice of, of West Papua. Papua. Tuesday, six thirty until seven thirty PM. News and
1: music from West Papua.
3: 3CR needs members to survive. By becoming a subscriber, you're helping us to remain fiercely independent and free of commercials and corporate influence.
1: Are you a paid-up subscriber? It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Great value for 24-7 community-owned and community-controlled media. Please become a subscriber member today. Call the station on 03 9419 8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Yes,
0: well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program and uh, we're talking about the teacher shortage. And here's an article from The Age just up and quitting. Victorian schools are short 1,000 teachers. Yes, I wonder why. And uh, we're going to hear from Kim. Over to you, Kim.
1: Thanks, Jean. Yes, this article was written by Nicole Precel on March 11 of this year and it's titled Just Up and Quitting, Victoria Schools Short 1,000 Teachers. Teaching vacancies have surged to almost 1,000 up from 600 at the beginning of Term 1, forcing some schools to run skeleton programs. There are about 980 teaching jobs being advertised by the Victorian Department of Education among the 1,601 education jobs that need to be filled. Victorian Principals Association President Andrew Dalgleish said schools were in a weekly bind trying to plug holes with principals regularly stepping in to teach. The first priority for every school leader is to make sure they have a quality teacher in every classroom. The last thing we need is having to double up classes or cut the curriculum, he said. One teacher, who wished not to be identified, said she thought things had improved since last year, but there were still 13 jobs being advertised at their school as people were just up and quitting a lot more. Another said one class had been split across several due to an unforeseen long-term vacancy. In a recent newsletter, Craigieburn Secondary College Principal, Kate Morphy, told the school community that several classes were without a permanent teacher and that they were working to fill those positions. As of Saturday, there were 30 jobs still being advertised at the school. I have been humbled by the staff at our school and their willingness to understand the situation and put in additional time and work to help support our students' learning. We are committed to running as full a program and to continue to give our students the best experiences and opportunities as possible, she said. Dalgleish said schools were working to minimise the problem by using permission to teach structures which rely on approved but unregistered teachers. Other initiatives include overseas recruitment, graduate teachers' programs and schools offering bonuses, although not all schools have the capacity to do that, he said. Australian Principals Federation President Tina King said many schools were running on a skeleton program under which the core curriculum was prioritised due to absences and vacancies. She said programs were being compromised, including extension or intervention programs. We are seeing a few more internationals coming in now, but nowhere near enough, she said. As part of the National Teacher Workforce Action Plan to address nationwide shortages, Ministers recently asked the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership to conduct a feasibility study into crunching a two-year master's degree into one. The number of people gaining a postgraduate qualification in education has declined by 23% since states and territories phased out the one-year diploma in 2014. Dalglish said that while Victoria needed to be courageous, he worried that more teachers would find themselves unprepared to deal with the realities of the job and did not want teaching quality diluted. Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership, AITSL, Chief Executive Mark Grant said nothing would turn the situation around in a year or two. It's not as quick as flicking a light switch. It's difficult when you can't get the right staff to get the best job done, he said. The Victorian Government has invested millions into stemming the teacher shortage, including recruiting overseas teachers, financial incentives for hard-to-staff positions, fast-tracking pathways to teaching from other professions and retraining teachers as specialists. In December, more than 1,000 inactive teachers expressed an intention to return to work in schools after a push from the Department. While vacancies fluctuate throughout the year, the Department is supporting a small number of schools to fill vacancies. Berwick Lodge primary school principal Henry Grossick said he was concerned we are reverting back to desperate measures to plug holes, but that it didn't seem like there was much choice. I hope this is only a temporary measure and that the importance of specific qualifications to teach in schools isn't devalued in the future because of what needs to be done today, he said. Australian Education Union Federal President Karina Haythorpe said Victoria needed both short and long-term measures to stem the shortage, including retention payments for existing staff, And funding job placements. She said the AITSL feasibility study was an attack on teaching qualifications and undermined Australia's teachers. Now there are some comments left underneath this article which I'll read out a few. Uh, Fred Newark says, who would want to be a teacher? Most in the state system are employed on contracts where you don't know if and where you will be working from one term to the next and teachers on contracts are only employed during the school terms. So maybe if the state government employed teachers in permanent jobs, more people would be interested in working in the profession. Uh, Ambiguity comments, I am a secondary teacher seriously considering leaving the profession. It is a little wonder where the majority of teachers complain about a non-existent work-life balance. The Department of Education, Catholics and independents haven't addressed the key issues undermining our profession. Forget about pay for a minute as it clouds the issue. An often used argument by the ignorant is the presence of recompense via term holidays throughout the year. But the reality is that we're not paid for overtime each evening, every weekend and work during those extra holidays. Workplaces do not give us enough time in the day to do our job, encroaching on any spare time during, which, during our paid time with administration, yard duties, meetings, phone calls to parents, continuous reporting and co-curricular. I may add that we are entitled to a 30-minute lunch and that's it, and exploitative workplaces are time creeping or cutting break and period minutes in an effort to adhere to the reduction in face-to-face hours." I'm left scratching my head when our respective education unions do not take these workplaces to the Fair Work Commission. I used to look forward to my job, but I guess sooner rather than later I will become another statistic of those leaving the profession. Uh, Reg of Aramatea says the teaching profession only survives because of unpaid overtime, which is also very true. Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, there you have it. If uh, teachers were paid overtime, then... uh, the budget would be a very different thing indeed mm. and uh, Australia would be very much more in debt than it is by billions of dollars. But um, the politicians are a bit desperate and they're doing what they did back in the 1950s and 60s. They're trying to fast track teachers without too much uh, uh, training. Mm. And, of course, uh, this is very interesting. To me, anyway. Let's hear from Maddie on this.
3: No worries. Thank you, Jean. This article is in the Sydney Morning Herald and it's entitled Teachers Fast-Tracked into Classrooms with Promise to Scrap Two-Year Qualification and it is by Lucy Carroll. Two year postgraduate teaching degrees would be scrapped and replaced with a one year course under a major overhaul to attract aspiring teachers into classrooms as schools battle chronic staff shortages, particularly in maths and science. The proposal will be rolled out if the New South Wales coalition government is re-elected in March. It follows the New South Wales Productivity Commission, releasing data that reveals the shift to longer qualification, has has deterred more than 9,000 would-be teachers from entering the profession. New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, said the reform was part of a push to modernise education and make a teaching career a reality sooner for those already in the workforce. People at all stages of their lives have the potential to be great teachers. For those who already have an undergraduate degree, we want a more streamlined approach for them to start a teaching career. Under a New South Wales coalition government, those with an undergraduate degree will be able to complete a one-year full-time postgraduate degree to become a secondary school teacher from 2024. And a streamlined postgraduate course for primary school teachers would be available by 2026. New South Wales Productivity Commissioner Peter Archistrat said evidence shows longer courses have created significant hurdles for those looking to re- retrain as teachers, and there were unintended costs to students and teachers with the shift to a two-year postgraduate degree. There are potentially 9,400 aspiring teachers who would have completed under the old one-year course, and that's enough to staff 140 high schools, Archistrat said. In 2013, a national approach to accreditation of education degrees was phased in, requiring university graduates to undertake a two-year master's degree to enter the profession. Previously, a one-year graduate diploma was sufficient. Would-be teachers are deterred from joining the profession because of the extra cost, the extra year of training, and the fact that they are going to miss out on salary, Arpastrat said. You might've had a maths degree, and be perfect for teaching, but if you have a family and a mortgage, taking two years off work to do the training is probably not viable, he said. The commission examined the economic impacts of longer postgraduate initial teacher education and found that since New South Wales doubled the length of postgraduate initial teacher education, the number of students completing degrees has trended down. If found, the move to a two years master's Is a disincentive for mid-career professionals wanting to retrain as teachers and has cost around three billion dollars in lost welfare over the past seven years. Those costs comprise loss of teacher earnings, additional student debt for teachers and a loss of lifetime income for students. Had initial teacher education remained as a one-year graduate diploma, we could expect more than 9,000 additional completions over the 2015 to 2022 period, the report said. The shortfall in teaching graduates with specialised skills on out-of-field teaching, where students are being taught by someone without expertise in their subject, is concerning, the report said. The commission estimates that the poorer outcomes from additional out-of-field teaching costs, around 95% Thousand students, $25,000 each in lost lifetime earnings. These additional teachers might have alleviated the current growing shortage of qualified teachers, which is well documented, the report said. There is scarce evidence that longer training pathways result in a better quality of teaching and many high achieving education systems overseas, such as Singapore, which is ranked second worldwide in PISA results, offer one year postgraduate teaching qualifications, the report said. Based on a review of empirical evidence, the commission estimates that teachers with an additional year of ITE have a negligible impact on student achievement. On the other hand, the literature consistently points to additional years of on the job teaching experience having a positive impact, especially for early career teachers. Teacher shortages are fighting across Australia, especially in maths, design, technology and science, while data reported by the Herald last year showed that more than 100,000 students in New South Wales are taught by someone without expertise in their subject. While extending the initial teacher education to two years was likely done to improve teacher quality, we now know that it has not achieved that outcome. We are confident that returning to a one-year initial teacher qualification will not lower teaching standards, Astokrat said. Minister for Education and Early Learning Sarah Mitchell said the current two-year master's degree requirement was a disincentive for aspiring teachers, particularly mid-career professionals, and didn't have a clear enough impact. A policy paper released last year by conservative think tank, the Centre for Independent Studies, Oh, my, this,
0: is, this is the crux of the matter, isn't it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Argued mandating a two year requirement for postgraduate teaching was crippling teacher supply. The one year graduate diploma of education is currently held by about 60,000 teachers nationally. Jean, what do you think about this? <laughs>
0: I think that uh, whoever's writing all these reports is giving the government what they want in the mm. same way as uh, we've now found out that um, some uh, public servants in Canberra gave the robo-debt ministers what they wanted. Mm. That's uh, that's my feeling about this. Okay. Uh, teachers are well qualified and well thought of and well paid and treated respectfully or they're not. Yeah. Um, and they, they want to do things on the cheap and just get um, Figures in front good. of classes as quickly as they can because they've really mucked it up, haven't they? Yes, yeah. they have. Uh, anyway, uh, that was a very interesting article indeed. Yes, well, now we'll change tack a bit and we'll see what's happening in America.
4: Over to you, Dale. Yes, now we have an article that Diane Rabbit has shared with us from Steve Hinefeld, Culture Wars builds Target people, not culture. Steve Hinefeld blogs about education politics in Indiana. In this post, he reminds us that culture war legislation targets people, not just an abstraction called culture. They call it a culture war, but it's not culture that's under attack. Republics in the Indiana General Assembly have declared war on real people, teachers, librarians, students and especially trans kids and their families. They're the ones who will be harmed if legislators get their way and several education culture war bills have advanced at the midpoint of the session. Three are especially egregious. ACLU Indiana calls them part of a slate of hate. One would ban medical treatment for transgender children One promotes book banning and another would force schools to out children over their gender identity. Senate Bill 480 is the bill banning medical treatment for transgender kids. It prohibits gender transition procedures for anyone under 18 barring not only surgery but the use of puberty blockers or hormones to delay developmental changes even if parents approve the treatment. It's arguably the worst of five anti-trans measures still alive in the legislature. It is part of a wave of attacks on transgender people, especially children, that has spread from one state to another. Nearly two years ago, the American Medical Association spoke out against the bills, calling them a dangerous intrusion into the practice of medicine. A study in the Journal of American Medical Association found trans youths, who received gender-affirming medical care, including hormone blockers, were much less likely to experience severe depression. It's ironic that Republicans, who claim to be the party of parents' rights, are trampling on the right of parents to decide on their children's medical treatment. Senate Bill 12 is the book banning bill, and I don't use that term lightly. If it becomes law, teachers and librarians, if they are accused of providing books or materials that are harmful to minors, in quotes, will no longer be able to argue they were acting as educators. Providing material that's harmful to minors is a felony, so teachers and librarians will likely purge their shelves of books that anyone might challenge. There's sure to be a chilling effect on educators who don't want to risk controversy. In fact, that's the intent. I hope it does have a chilling effect, said the bill's author, Senator Tom Jones, The bill requires public and charter schools to compile lists of all books in their classrooms and libraries and post them on their websites and it makes schools set up procedures for parents to complain about the books and petition to have them removed. Supporters claim school libraries contain pornography but provided no examples. As West Lafayette attorney Doug Masson points out, the legislation doesn't provide any pathway for parents who think their children's access to serious reading material is being blocked by conservative activists and cautious school officials. In other words, there are rights for some parents, but not for others. House Bill 1608 is Indiana's answer to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' don't say gay law, but with anti-trans variations. The first part is simple. It bans any instruction on human sexuality for students in grades K to 3. The second part requires teachers to only refer to students by names and pronouns that are consistent with their assigned sex at birth, regardless of the student's preference. And if any students should ask to change their name, pronoun, title or other word to identify the student that is inconsistent with the student's sex, the school would have to notify parents. I'm sympathetic to the idea that schools should keep parents informed about what's going on with their children. But this is a sensitive area and schools should have the flexibility to act in the best interest of their students. As ACLU staff attorney Harper Selden writes, transgender youth face a real risk of rejection and even abuse by the parents who are supposed to care for them. All three bills were approved by near party line votes with one or two Republicans joining Democrats in voting against them. Committee hearings haven't yet been scheduled for SB 480 and SB 12 in the House or for HB 1608 in the Senate. Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, that's enough of all the bad news for this afternoon. Let's get some good news. And there is some from Pasi Salberg that Dale's going to tell us about.
4: Over to you, Dale. The good news on schools is from a blog by Pasi Salberg. What do you think about Australian school education? Ever since I came to Australia with my wife and two school-aged children five years ago, this is the question I've been asked more than any other. Before that, I worked as a school teacher and senior education policy maker in Finland it seems like people think that Finnish education is a good benchmark to check how school education here compares to the best of the class. After carefully exploring tens of Australian schools and having my own children attend some of them, my verdict is we have a world-class school education, but not for everyone. This is both bad and good news. The bad news because we know from international studies and Australian research how systemic educational inequalities negatively affect the quality of our schools and education systems. We also know that fixing these inequalities and raising the quality of education is primarily an issue of how schools are resourced and how education systems are structured rather than what teachers and schools do. And the good news? We already have many excellent, innovative schools all around this country, and we know what effective future-focused schools look like. More importantly, we know what these schools have done to become world-class schools. Future schools is an example of, homegrown, of a homegrown movement that brings together some of the most innovative schools in Australia and in other countries to show what is possible in education. This expanding network of over 100 Australian schools from all school sectors offers inspiration and professional expertise to anyone curious about what schools could be. Through my work, I've visited hundreds of schools around the world, some of the best I've seen here in Australia. Better yet, number of these future-focused schools where students experience top-of-the-class learning has been steadily increasing. Despite these good news, new media reports on school teachers have become more and more negative over the past 25 years. In her book, Constructing Teacher Identities, Nicole Mockler from the University of Sydney concludes that given the harsh, harsh criticism and blame placed on teachers for problems that are not within their reach, it's no surprise that the status of teaching has been in steady decline. We should also report good news about what teachers, principals and schools do well. Here is what that could be. First, we know what successful, inspiring schools look like and what they do. We also know how to help more schools get better. We need less reviews and reports and more action to support teachers to do their best. Second, we know that successful schools make significant accomplishments beyond literacy and numeracy outcomes. Student well-being, positive contributions students make in the communities, and engaging all students in deeper learning are examples of areas of schooling that are important aspects of good school education. Third, We know that children benefit when parents and teachers understand education as shared responsibility. It takes a village to raise a child, a proverb goes. It means that just like teachers are expected to teach all children well in school, parents need to take care that their children come to school ready to learn. All things considered, I am optimistic that we can offer world-class education to all of our children. But we will not get there with current directions of school policies and reforms. What we need is new thinking about what kind of schools we need and valuing more what teachers do. Failure to do that makes me think that in education, you can count on the Australians to get it right after trying everything else. And that was Passy Salberg.
1: Every week on the Dogs program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school.
4: State schools are great schools. School of the week.
2: State school. School of the school. week.
4: Great state schools. State, state
2: schools. schools school are great of the schools. week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs>
3: And this week's Great State School is Craigieburn Secondary College. Congratulations Craigieburn Secondary College. Craigieburn Secondary College is a school with a rich history of diversity and acceptance. They have over 25 years of experience in educating and supporting their students to be happy and successful. They are a strong community, rich in diversity across their families and staff, as well as having a broad range of learning and extracurricular programs. Their teachers and staff are energetic and talented. They work closely together to support students to be their best. They've recently upgraded many of their facilities and student programs and are seeing real improvements in student dedication, commitment and performance results from Year 7 through to VCE. More of their students are progressing to higher education, TAFE employment than ever before. They have developed a unique new learning program, that encourages self-reflection and personal development from a young age. They guide students from year seven onwards in personal and academic goal setting and how to track and assess their own academic strengths, improvements and areas of weakness. They have specifically designed their programs to help build a sense of awareness and acceptance within each student of their unique personality, learning style, family history and culture. That sounds really good. They have a strong code of conduct and they do not tolerate bullying or harassment. Throughout school life, students are encouraged to think hard about what they would like to see in their future and to understand the steps they need to take to get there, and they are here to support them through that process. I'm going to shoot some facts and figures at you now from the Akara My School website. There are 1,098 students enrolled at this school, the Ixia value is well below average at 925. In the upper quartile of parental income, there is 3% of the students. The second highest quartile, there is 12%. In the third quartile, there is 24% of the students. And in the lowest quartile, there is 61% of the students. So it is a school which is representative of the disadvantaged Australian community. There is 65% speaking a language other than English and 2% Indigenous students. Now to finances and recurrent grants. The Australian government provides $4.24 million annually. The Victorian government $16.65 million. Fees and parental contributions amount to a mere $71,000 and other private contributions are $32,000. It costs per pupil to send to this school, $17,740. And capital over the last three years has been $2.1 million. Congratulations, Craigie Burns Secondary College. You are our great state school of the week. And congratulations to all of the staff and students and the families that contribute to this wonderful school.
0: So thank you, Maddy, And uh, our time is gone and uh, we hope that you... Uh, enjoyed our program and we'll be back next week at 12 noon Saturday. If you want to find out more about us you can go to our website at www.adogs.info or to the 3CR website if you want to hear previous programs or this one again for that matter but uh, from Dale and Kim and Maddie and me it is bye for now.
2: Joe says I am standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I ain't dead Says Joe, but I ain't dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I On to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your. Joe, you're ten years dead.